0: Thanks for downloading today's episode. Before the show starts, I wanted to take a moment to ask you to rate and comment on the podcast in iTunes or SoundCloud. The more people who rate us, the bigger we can grow. You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is Episode 59. So, I'm almost two years into my podcasting career, and it's crazy that I've not yet done an episode completely dedicated to emotional intelligence. What it is how we recognize it in ourselves, why it's so important, and of course, how we can develop it. Emotional intelligence is one of my favorite things to talk about. It's a powerful subtopic of leadership and indeed personal effectiveness. Anyone who's ever sat in a workshop that I've delivered will no doubt have heard one of my passionate speeches about EQ. I was thrilled to meet Muffy Churches. Muffy is an author, executive coach, leadership consultant, and like me, she loves to chat about emotional intelligence. She has great insight into the role it plays in our lives and how important it is as we dig into a true understanding of ourselves and set the right goals for our life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Muffy Churches. Muffy Churches, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks,
1: David. It's great to be with
0: you. Muffy, I'm really excited about our conversation tonight because I've been doing this podcast for a long time and it's crazy, but I feel like I've never done an episode that's truly dedicated to what I've got to say is one of my favorite topics in the work that I do, emotional intelligence. So, I was really excited when I could invite you on the show to just talk about emotional intelligence. I'm really keen on that because as I've told you off record, it's one of the things that I spend most, uh, spend thinking about more often than any other concept. And I talk about it in my workshops and with my clients more often, probably than any other concept. It's just so important. Do you share the passion that I do?
1: I absolutely do. And it's really refreshing to talk to you, David, because- you know, quite often when I, people ask me what I do and I explain that I'm an executive coach and they sort of assume that it's business conversation. I say, no, in fact, quite the opposite for me. I'm more about mindset. I'm more about, you know, and I use the term sometimes emotional intelligence. I said, you know, actually the other day, someone said I was, I was over in Perth last week and I was speaking at a conference and I finished the presentation and I was chatting with someone out in the hall and they said, you know, I know you're a coach, but you kind of sound like a thought therapist. <laughs> think, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because a thought therapist—that's you know, what we do, isn't it? I mean, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, we're essentially talking about our thought processes and how we can learn to manage it. So, yeah, it is absolutely my passion, and I think that almost all of my coaching sessions, in one way or another, David, are you know are moving in that direction. We're always having a conversation around how that part of their thinking is going.
0: I've taken in my workshops to saying the following line, and I've never tested it with a colleague. So here's my chance, Murphy. Tell me what you think of this. I talk (laughs) about emotional intelligence being to leaders what athleticism is to a sportsman.
1: Oh, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Because it's we, an absolute necessity. Yeah,
0: yeah, and we hear about sportsmen, you know, just being fantastic athletes. So those young guys and girls who, as teenagers, play all sorts of different sports, and that at some point they they specialise and they become a professional in this sport. But they had options because they were they were not a tennis player or a cricketer or a, or a rugby league player. They were an athlete and they just chose different sports to to use that athleticism that's how i feel about leaders leaders are just walking examples of their own emotional intelligence
1: no i i think you're absolutely right and and they use it in their personal lives as well as you know it's it's i liked your analogy about the different sports and it's you sort of apply your athleticism to the particular sport you're in. And that's exactly the same with emotional intelligence. And that means of thinking and managing thoughts to become as effective as you possibly can and create really nice relationships. And that's what leaders have to have in place. Without that, there's that level of detachment and a, and a lack of effectiveness in terms of connecting with teams and, you know, colleagues, it's, it's an, an essential. In a way, you know, I like to that term athleticism as an analogy, because it reminds me of what I generally talk about when we talk about emotional intelligence, it is working out the brain, as if you're working out a muscle, you know, we have to, we'll probably get into this topic more deeply in a bit, but it's absolutely required that you make an effort to be emotionally intelligent, doesn't always happen completely naturally, it's being mindful in the moment, it's being present enough to notice what's happening in your own head and your own body as well as trying to pick up what's going on in the in the group around you. So that is an effort, especially when you're exercising it, trying to enhance it or develop it. It's a little bit like going to the gym yeah. you know, for a while.
0: Hey, we will yeah. talk about that, about the nature or nurture. It, and it is very much paralleled with athleticism, isn't it? Yeah. Of course, some people are born more athletic than others, but we can all get fitter and we can all get stronger. Yeah. And it's a bit the same as with emotional intelligence. But I like what you did with my own analogy there. You you took it back to the leader and said like the athlete, like the sportsman, they you know, anyone who's good at a sport is probably pretty good at other sports because of that athleticism. Yeah. And it's the same with emotional intelligence. The idea of someone who is working on their leadership, the idea that they're actually working on their whole life, of course, is is really obvious to me. And, and if we are kidding ourselves into thinking that we can work just on our leadership, then we don't really understand what leadership's about. Because if you're working on your leadership, you're also working on being a better husband and being a better dad yeah. and being better in all of the relationships that you have. So I love what you did there. But let's go back to the very beginning, Muffy, for our listeners who... Don't really know what we're talking about. We're talking about emotional intelligence as if it's some kind of mystic gift. So let's (laughs) (laughs) let's define it for them. How do you define emotional intelligence, Muffy?
1: I define it as our ability to do a couple of things. So first of all, our ability to be able to sort of know what we're feeling when we're feeling it. So really being able to, not just to be able to say to ourselves, I feel bad or I feel good, but kind of define and label the sensation, like be sensitive enough to say to ourselves, I'm feeling angry, or I'm frustrated, or I'm concerned, like having a a word to connect to it, being able to recognize some of that in others as well. Then there's the next level of it, which is to say, now, if I can recognize what I'm feeling, where's my brain going to take this? How is my thinking related to what I'm feeling? And if I continue down this path, where will it take me? So there's a little bit of that that innate understanding of cause and effect. So and this all happens, you know, in our heads in split seconds. So it's sort of like recognizing if I'm angry right now and I react to that in this moment and I give it back, what will that do to the interaction I'm in the middle of? So being emotionally intelligent is being self-aware, being aware of the cause and the effect for me of you know, where it's going to take me if I allow that particular emotion to run its course. But then the most important piece of the package is, is then knowing where that emotion and that thinking could take me, can I manage it in a way that will help me achieve an effective outcome? So instead of inflaming a situation by, you know, slapping back with words, so to speak, can I manage my thinking and my emotions in a way that will help me connect with this person in a peaceful, more solution focused way? And that's a whole, we'll be talking about that. I'm sure that's a, that's a whole sort of package of practice it takes to to know how to make that, that switch happen in our head.
0: I love your description. And you know, the concept that this idea of emotional intelligence didn't become mainstream or popularized until 1995. Can you believe? Yeah. When Daniel yeah. Goleman, of course, wrote his breakthrough, his groundbreaking book about mm. emotional intelligence. So, Daniel Goleman got the first crack at defining emotional intelligence. And of course, since he did that, and it was so successful and it resonated with so many people, a lot of others have come along behind him and and yeah. put together different packages. But, but I like to stick with the original. My understanding lies very much with Daniel Goldman's categories. And for our listeners, I'm going to outline the way the godfather of emotional intelligence yeah. has outlined cool? it in his five components. So the first two, self-awareness, as you talked about and Mm self-regulation. So that ability for us, self-awareness, to understand the impact our behavior is having on others, to understand the wake we leave as we move through our life. Or another way of thinking about it is that the shadow that we cast. In leadership, we talk about the leadership shadow. People who have high levels of self-awareness, they get the impact their behaviour is having on on those around them. So that's really really interesting, yeah. and and even that we can get stuck on that first component because having self awareness is a really tricky thing. How are you, yeah. how can you be sure that you have self awareness? You know, a lot <laughs> of us go around thinking we're we're doing a pretty good job at forming relationships, but we could just be. Interacting with a whole bunch of really polite people who don't tell us what a jerk we are. That's right. Having yeah, having self awareness is a really tough thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up really soon, Muffy, and ask you about how we develop and ascertain our own self awareness. But before I do that, I want to talk about the second of Daniel Goldman's components, his five components of emotional intelligence. That's self regulation. So self awareness is cool, and we're gonna talk about where we get that from soon, and how how aware we are of ourselves and what we can do to improve that. But it's one thing to know that I respond this way in these situations, or I'm feeling angry right now, or I'm thinking unreasonable things, or whatever it is, or I'm really excited and I'm likely to annoy people right now. All of that is great, to have self-awareness. But if you don't also have hand-in-hand self-regulation, then that self-awareness isn't all that useful because you can tell yourself all you like that I'm angry, I'm going to do something unreasonable, or I'm being judgmental, or I'm being overly excited. If you can't regulate that and control that behavior, then it's not worth that much. So That's how those two components of Daniel Goleman's model work really well, self-awareness and self-regulation. Hey, Murphy, before we move on to the the third, fourth, and fifth, can you talk to me about self-awareness? How can I be sure that I'm as self-aware as I think I am? (laughs)
1: it's a tough one, isn't it? I think sometimes we we have to rely on well, there are two answers to this. On one hand, we need to rely on the feedback that we get from people around us and and try to pick up on what they're saying in their facial expressions and the tone they're using. You know, I mean that others will help us. But as you're saying, they don't always Mm. You know that they keep it to themselves. They don't want to rock the boat. So I think what quite often happens to us is it's kind of like we burn our finger on the stove when it's hot. So we become self-aware sometimes out of necessity, almost a self-protective kind of an exercise. So knowing that something didn't work out well for us because of our reaction yesterday, we're less likely to have the same reaction to a similar situation in the future. Mm. So we out of self-protection, start start to become a little bit self-aware. I mean, I know this is this is a bit of a far cry, and we haven't talked about nature and nurture yet, but I think about myself when I was a kid. I had a beautiful dad who had been through World War II, and he had some rage. You know, he had some of the, um, uh, what do we call it now? The Post-traumatic
0: um, uh, stress disorder. Post-traum-
1: yeah, he had that, but it wasn't sort of, it wasn't diagnosed with. Back mm-hmm. in those days, they didn't quite know what it was. And so I learned as I was growing up, I learned to be very self-aware in terms of what I was saying and how I was saying it, because I had to walk on eggshells. I was about to I say, knew. I was
0: about to say the eggs, so that's yeah. actually good for you yeah. as a child, is it? Uh,
1: well, it worked in my favor in the sense that I've built a, an entire profession around it. <laughs> so I'm yeah. very grateful to dad, yeah. because it forced me to become self-aware enough to be so careful not to say or do the wrong thing. So it made me watch my own behavior watch my own responses so carefully. I think in a sense, you know, if we go back to the the gymnasium and the athleticism example, I was at an early date starting to flex my emotional intelligence muscles because I needed to in order to be comfortable. So I think in some ways, for whatever life context we all we all have, whatever our personal stories are, it doesn't matter if things happen as an adult or as a kid, but we we do start to learn and connect that certain responses get connected responses from others. And some of them feel good and some of them don't. Most of us like to feel good as often as possible. So yeah, we're very careful. And I think that's one of the places that self-awareness starts. I know I know, one of the beauties of being a coach, for example, is that awesome privilege to be able to sit with someone who might be very high on the totem pole, someone who's obviously done so well that they're in an executive position and yet they've finally tripped across the notion that they are lacking in some of that self-awareness and that they need somehow some help to work out what have I been doing wrong you know and how, how can I stop this so helping them start to watch the tip David and I'm sure this is something that you work through as well is that to use that term for our listeners, to use the term inner voice, Mm. there's that alternate self that we need to start to listen to when we become self-aware. So there's that voice in our head that is saying things to us all the time if we're willing to listen to it. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. I kind of call mine the evil twin because, you know, she'll pop up sometimes and she'll she'll say things to me that are self-limiting. You know, some of those negative, insecure things that most of us tend to say to ourselves sometimes. So that's the self-awareness is around getting used to listening to that voice, but making a strategic decision as to whether we like what we hear and we think it's working for us, or if we finally worked out that, no, we need to change it and shift it around to something that's more constructive and works for us and for others.
0: So interesting that you talk about your high level of self-awareness coming from a parent who was difficult, mental health issues, Mm -hmm. whose behavior was up and down, you were so aware of not being the trigger that you developed this really high level of self-awareness. Wow. Okay. That's a great story. And I bet there are some listeners right now who are relating to that. Mm. We talk about feedback being a gift and it's just so true, isn't it? Most of us want to know if our behavior is having an impact that we don't want it to have, but so rarely do we really give that hard kind of feedback to people. When before we started recording you and I were talking muffy about the work that I'm doing at the moment. I'm I've got a great yes. client doing lots of great work and I don't know whether the work I'm doing great but I really enjoy the project and I'm working on this with this team and quite early in the piece I said something in a meeting which was actually quite big news for an individual in the meeting that they they were being mm. moved from one team to another and I was kind of flippant about it. Because I oh. thought I knew this guy and I thought, oh, he'll be fine with that. And I just brushed yeah. over it, moved along and he pulled me aside later and told me that that was actually really hard news for him to hear and, and that he didn't like the way I delivered it. And I'll tell you what, oh. I've never appreciated something so much and yeah. I've never, you know, I can't remember the last time I was checked so badly. I thought that I was pretty good at tuning into what's going on around me. I can't yeah. remember the last time I got it so wrong. Well, actually, maybe I get it wrong all the time, but people aren't usually confident enough or generous enough to come and tell me. I really appreciated what that guy said. And it just caused me to check my antenna a bit more because I maybe was a bit overconfident and didn't think and thought I was doing fine and not reading the signs of the people around me. It was a really great gift. And we talk about feedback being a gift, it's really difficult to give. But my goodness, if we don't give it to each other, where are we going to get it from?
1: Well, that's right. And I have a story, too, David, to add to yours, because I, too, even though, I, you know, having said I grew up very, you know, being very sensitive, it certainly doesn't mean I have it right either all the time. And I, I remember, and we, it was a wonderful thing. I saw it like you did. It was a great gift. When I worked for a global training company for about 12 years here in Sydney, in Australia, and I remember one, a member of one of the other Teams came up to me one day and he'd been going through a lot of personal development himself. He was, I think he was going to it's called landmark or something, and he'd been learning an awful lot about himself and others and reactions. And he came up with the best intentions and gave me some really rough feedback, which was really helpful to me, same as you. It was such a gift. He said to me, You know, Muffy, he said, I know you, you know, you work really hard, you're good at what you do. I think people like you here, but I think they could like you more if you changed your behavior and I said, wow. "Tell me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, what? Yeah. Tell me. What am I doing?" It's hard and it's awesome at the same time to hear it. Yeah. He said, "Well, you're always in such a rush." He said, "You're you race into the kitchen, you grab whatever you have to get and you leave again and you or you're at the elevator and you run across and you you said, you're not stopping mm. to engage with mm. people and we just wish, you know, just if you just would stop and say hello and ask yeah. a question about their personal life, yeah. so that for me was huge. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I yeah. was
0: so grateful. And, yeah. and as you say, it's hard to hear, isn't it? And yeah, it's it no hard. wonder. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not very good at doing it myself, Muffy. When I know someone and I watch them work, and I know about patterns, yeah. it's really hard for me to point out and say, "Hey, look, I know your intentions are really good, but oh. this behavior that we see regularly is having this impact on people." I don't do it, and if I'm not doing yeah. it, who you know who <gasps> is?
1: Yeah, I know it. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. You know what started to make it a little bit easier for me to mm. do? I had a, the opportunity to run a program from a big manufacturing company on giving and receiving feedback. Yeah. So the best thing that happens to us, David, as trainers is that we have the opportunity. We learn what we train, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a win-win sort of a gift. So sure I really is. researched it carefully. But I so I learned some of the really basic things that I hadn't known before, such as the conflict resolution approach, where you you speak about your own feelings as you're giving somebody else feedback. So you're not pointing the finger and you're not saying you should, you didn't, you, you know, you don't, you're kind of saying when you do something, the it way makes I, me, yeah, I, I feel, feel, yeah, yeah I yeah. feel. And I think what I would prefer would be, and how do you feel mm. about that? You know, What are your thoughts? Yeah. So just finding a process, mm. you know, it just helps us hang our hat on something that's safe, gives us something to practice and, the more I tried to do it in class, as you know, giving examples, the easier it became for me to do, I think, on a, on a daily basis. But- hey,
0: if we're not doing that, that's great advice. I love the way you shaped that. I'm going to do that soon. I'm going to take the next opportunity because if we're not doing that, we're not being the best leader we can be. And by right. leader, I don't mean manager or boss. Anyone mm-hmm. can be a leader. It's a mindset. You don't have to be someone's boss to be their leader or be a leader in that environment. And if if we are taking the easy option when it comes to observing someone's behavior and understanding its impact and Mm. not addressing it with them, then we're not being the best leader we can be. Hey, is it just me? Or are the people who are most in need of some hard feedback, are they the ones who have developed these really harsh outer skin that says, do not give me harsh feedback, do not give me tough feedback, or you will cop it? Is it just me yeah. or, is that, or is that a pretty common thing? The people who need no. to hear it most are the people you're <laughs> least likely to try it with.
1: I think you're right, David, for sure. I mean, that's my experience as well. And they have developed a really crusty exterior with mm. spikes. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, you go take me in that direction and you will suffer. Yeah. I will it's make like sure a, you I'm- do.
0: I dare you to give me feedback. I dare you. Mm, yeah,
1: tough. and I have to assume, you know, I try to step into their shoes and I think, well, if I were to have that attitude in life, where would that have come from? And I think they've probably been seared, crushed themselves at some at some point, and they're they're just they've learned to protect themselves, you know, with that that kind of a re- reaction to. I think that's all it is. It, I think it really means it's sort of like a turtle shell. The underbelly is mm-hmm. really vulnerable, yeah. you know. So
0: yeah, look, that's great. And we've 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 spent all that time talking about self awareness with, which is Goldman's first of the five components. But I think yeah. it's the trickiest. Mm-hmm. I think the others are things that you can monitor yourself if you're honest with yourself. But self-awareness is is one that can catch you off guard. Yes. So that's worth spending that time. Feedback is a gift. We've, we all know that. You've given some great advice about feedback, which I'll put on my webpage, of course. And it, we've got to step up. As leaders, we need to step up and give that advice. And of course, mm. if, or not advice or just some feedback. And if someone gives it to us treat it like the gift that it is. It's hard to hear, but the person who's delivering it to you is out on a limb. They're doing you a favour and and it, Mm. it is, I can't think of another word other than it's a gift. Yeah. If you want to inject some energy and leadership expertise into your next event, why not invite David to speak? He'll get things moving. We're speaking with Muffy Churches, a, a personal coach, an executive coach, and for tonight only, an expert on emotional intelligence. Muffy, we've just talked all about self-awareness. The others, I think, are not as tricky. Self-regulation. I explained that. Self-awareness is great, but if you haven't got self-regulation to go with it, self-awareness is not worth very much. Tell me a little bit about self-regulation.
1: Yeah, this is the tricky bit, and it, it's the most fascinating part for me because It's actually an art form. I would go so far as to say being able to do this is an art form of a sort. What we need to do to self-regulate is, as you're saying, start with that self-awareness. But in that second of self-awareness, let's say, let's just pretend that I'm in a conversation with someone. They say something that triggers me, one of my good old triggers, and I I am ready to just knee-jerk right back at them. And if I allow myself to go to that primal place, if I don't think, if I don't take a breath with the intention of trying to self-regulate, I will jump right back into the fire and I'll add fuel to it. I'll make it worse, right? So self-regulation for us is when we have that opportunity, that moment of choice to think and change our emotion and our, our thought response. So it's like creating a gap in a sense. And it's just it's hard to describe in the sense that it people, you know, you'd be thinking, well, I don't have time to think all of that stuff before mm. I react to somebody. And it, it's actually, it can happen as a concept that only takes a, a split second in our heads once we practice it. So it's, it's just thinking very quickly, okay, I'm triggered, I'm angry, and then take a breath, for example, just breathing, knowing with intention and practice that as you breathe, you're thinking about what kind of an outcome you would prefer in this situation. So you actually kind of set a goal for yourself. Common goals in a moment like this are to think, well, you know, if you're sitting around a boardroom, for example, if it's a business thing, you might be thinking, all right, do I need to maintain this relationship and keep it healthy? Because if if I allow myself to knee jerk right now, I'm going to burn this bridge. Bad, <laughs> you know. So is the relationship my goal? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, or could it be? I want a particular outcome here. I'd really like to be able to influence the outcome of this discussion because I think I've I've really got a good way forward for us. And if I get angry and put this person down in response, I'll I'll destroy my chances of having any influence. So you kind of need to just work out what's important. And and, or, David, as we know, it could be personal values as well. It's like, how should I respond as as the person with a sense of values and integrity that I have, my own personal ethics, how do you know, what's my benchmark for being the best person that I can be in this moment when I respond? That I, so that I don't regret yeah. myself, you know, what I say. that's one yeah.
0: of the that's the key word, isn't it? You know, you you've got these things, life experience has told you when I act in a certain way, I regret that. And that's where yeah, right. self fear that's that's a really great key concept and it's a really great reminder, a trigger almost that if this is something I'm going to regret, but I really want to do it right now because I have a strong emotion, then don't do it. That's where self-regulation and, and the proverbial, the cliche, counting to 10 or walking away or coming back and, yeah. and waiting till you cool down, that's where self-regulation comes in. And it is, of course- not just responding to your own emotions, but adapting to changing circumstances and what's going on around you, the emotions of others. So that's wonderful. And I love, in my mind, it's so clear the way that self-regulation and self-awareness work together.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. dokie. Go for it. <laughs>
0: The next of Goldman's five components of emotional intelligence is, of course, social skills, and that's managing relationships to move people in a desired direction. You know, Muffy, on a superficial read, this can almost sound manipulative, can't it? The ability to control people or control my relationship with people to get a desired outcome. How do you read that?
1: Well, I know it's really easy to say it sounds like manipulation, Mm. but I think If we look at it from the angle of coming from good intention, and the good intention is meant to be a win-win. So in other words, I love some of the personality style instruments that that are out there. I've Mm. I've heard you mention several of them that you work with in other podcasts that you've run. And I personally use one called the SDI. It stands for the Strength Deployment Inventory. It's part of the Relationship Awareness Theory, I think Mm. it's called, yeah. And in that one, you just, you identify various personality styles in a sense. And as you're interacting with someone, you know, you're trying to be sensitive to their language or their preference of Mm. communication. Are they analytical? Are they super assertive? Or are they caring and supportive? So you adapt your language and your method of communication. To kind of reach them, but it's it's not any different than speaking Greek to a Greek or Italian to an Italian, if you yeah. can. Yeah. So in that sense, it's just it's enhancing communication. And from a from an emotional intelligence point of view, I think we're we're trying to do the same thing. We're we're trying to hone in on their feelings and what they need in the moment, so that we can honor not only what we need, what we value, but work on what they need and value too. So we're taking two people into consideration. And kind of playing a little bit of a ping pong game in that sense.
0: Hey, I love that that description you talked about tapping into someone's emotions. I think we I think we do that. I think human beings are pretty good at knowing that that's the right thing to do. And people with high emotional intelligence, of course, are better at it than others. It's interesting. I, I remember reading an article once about winning a debate, winning a conversation. You know, winning the in the battle of talking. Uh-huh. And it was giving this the contrary advice, which is really awful, to pick up someone and go the opposite way. So if they were being really objective, really fact-based, start arguing emotion to them. If they were being kind of humorous and lighthearted, get really serious with them. Whichever way they were going, you could throw them off balance by going the opposite way. They might be going in a completely gi- legitimate direction, but you can make your the opposite direction seem just as legitimate, continually throw them off balance. So that's yeah. a really great way to be nasty and a bully yeah. in a conversation. So yeah. <laughs> of course, conversely, doing the opposite is a great way to bond with someone and to get them on side and have a warm, meaningful, empathetic conversation.
1: That is a really nice way to put it, David. I love that. So it is, you're right. It's the opposite of gameplay, isn't it? Yeah. It's and it's it's not game because gameplay does connote we I win you lose sort of thing. Yeah. So this is yeah, this is all about let's enjoy this, let's get the best out of this circumstance for both of us. And it's yeah, it's a very positive, you're right, empathetic and understanding. It doesn't mean agreement necessarily. It doesn't mean saying yes to something we don't we don't believe in at all or don't want to go along with. But it, it does mean bridging that gap between ourselves and the other person and being able to say, hey, I think I know where you're coming from. And what about this? You know, I understand how you're feeling under the circumstances. What if we were to? So it's drawing them in as opposed to trying to flick them out, if that makes sense.
0: That makes, that makes, sense. That makes perfect sense. All right, Muffy. So we're getting there. We've talked about self-awareness, self-regulation, and social skills. They're the they're the first three of Daniel Goleman's five categories of emotional intelligence. And the next one, of course, we touched on it. There is empathy, the ability to walk in someone's shoes, the ability to consider other people's feelings, especially when making a decision. And you know, the, the concept of empathy is obviously so incredibly important. It is at the heart of emotional intelligence. It's at the heart of people who are able to engage positively with the other with others, and of course, it's the thing that's so often lacking with someone who clashes with others and doesn't fit well into a group or a workplace. But even more interesting. Um, empathy. I love the fact, and i I listened to this wonderful podcast a little while ago, and I can't remember who it was, but he was a genius. Just can't remember his name. So it wasn't that clever, but (laughs) he talked about the difference between affective and cognitive empathy. And it just really brought to life for me, this concept of empathy. So affective is emotional empathy and cognitive empathy is when I just think. So it it, is when I think. So for example, if I'm seeing you in a situation and I think, well, if I was in that situation, I would want this to happen. So I go and do that for you. For example, my four-year-old boy, he's not quite four, when he sees his little brother upset, he thinks, well, what do I like when I'm upset? I like my bear. So he goes and gets his bear and gives it to his oh, little brother. That's lovely yeah, that's great. because he's tapping yeah. into his own emotions. Yeah. But you know yeah. what's even better than that is when he actually thinks, which is cognitive empathy. So he doesn't think, Well, when I'm upset, I like my bear, so I'll go and get my bear. He thinks, but it's my brother who's upset. What does he like when he's upset? So that's cognitive empathy. He likes his bear or he likes his blankie or whatever it might be. And you can think of the way cognitive and affective empathy plays out across societies. For example, the way in this country, even at our best, we have tried to deal with the terrible conditions so many of our indigenous people live in. And the fact that their education rates, health rates, prison rates are all awfully behind the rest of Australia. Now, what mm. do we so often try and do? We try and give them solutions that we would would work for us rather yeah. than solutions yeah. that would work for them. We don't give them cognitive empathy, we give them effective empathy. So that's yeah. the the fourth of Daniel Goldman's. And for me, Muffy, when I when the concept of different types of empathy, like a mature empathy, was brought to my understanding, it it brought the whole thing alive.
1: Yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? And I think, you know, what comes to mind for me is, you know, for listeners on this, how do we do that? What is cognitive empathy about? Mm. Like, how do we achieve it? So to speak, it's a fancy word in a way. And I think it's as simple and as complex as learning to be curious. It's about, Mm. for me, it's about asking questions. So yes, we go to a we connect as we can from that effective empathy place of, I've had my own experiences. Mm. I, can, I know how I felt and what I would like, yeah. but let me check in with this other person and see what might work best for them, yeah. you know, and to actually ask the questions. Question asking is, is a great skill and it, and it allows the other person to fill in the blanks for us. And they also feel when we do that, the beauty of it is, is they feel heard. Because yeah. they've been given the opportunity to be heard. And that's another bridge builder. It's a really beautiful sort of a connection.
0: You're so right. It comes to that closed or open mindset, doesn't it? So someone with a yeah. closed mindset but has wonderful intentions, I really want to be empathetic towards you. I want to, I want to care. I want to help you. But mm. my mind is closed, so I can't think beyond how I would feel in your situation. Yeah.
1: Whereas someone
0: who can take there, who's got an open mind, it's not about how I would feel in your situation. It's about how you probably feel in your situation. So let me think that through. Let me draw on other pieces of stimulus or other bits of information that can give me a better understanding of how you would think rather than taking what is, I must say, the easy option and think about what would I want in your situation. So the affective versus cognitive empathy, and if you're interested, I actually wrote a blog on that quite some time ago. There's a cool children's story called The Very Cranky Bear. And if you've ever read The Very Cranky Bear, which I have about 150,000 times, you will know (laughs) that the the sheep has a very different response to the problem than the rest of the animals. And that's the one with the cognitive empathy. So jump on teams.guru and have a look at the blogs there if you want to learn a little more about cognitive empathy and effective empathy, but the fifth and final of Daniel Goleman's components. We've talked about self-awareness, self-regulation, social skills, and empathy. Is of course motivation the ability to be to drive. No, sorry, being driven to achieve for the sake of achievement. What do you think, Muffy?
1: Mm, being driven for the sake of achievement. Well, yeah, I think we have to have. For me, we have to have a vision. We have to have some. I like to use the word clarity. We have to have clarity of where we're headed or where we'd like to be. And if we don't have any clarity around direction, then all the emotional intelligence stuff can sort of fall apart a bit. Because I think earlier we were talking about, you know, in that moment of self-regulation, creating a goal. So if I'm not going to knee jerk, what am I going to do? And What, you know, what direction do I need to take in this conversation that'll get me that outcome that I'm looking for. And that's where this motivation comes in. It's about what's important to me. What do I want? What do I need? Where are my values? What's the kind of outcome that's going to be the best for me? And how can I drive toward that? And how can I use all these skill sets, the other four that you've mentioned of Daniel Goldman's, how can I use all these skill sets to help me get there? You know, what's going to, what's pushing me to do this? Otherwise, Without the goal, without the motivation, without a picture or a destination, in a sense, even in the smallest way, all we can do is literally be buffeted by the winds of others. Yep. you know, we're, That's all we can do. We, we just sit and we, we take it and we slap back, slap, slap back, slap, slap back. So how do I get out of that? I need to be motivated to do something different, mm. but I need to know what that is.
0: It gets to the heart of that very that other hugely important concept: is either I'm proactive or I'm reactive.
1: Yep, that's I'm it. either
0: writing my own story, or I'm, or I'm a victim.
1: Yeah, that's it. I love it.
0: I read an yep. article that you wrote about that. Actually, it was it was uh, really good, and I thought to myself, "Geez, if we get some time, maybe I should bring in that other concept." But it actually deserves its own episode, doesn't it? Proactive versus that's reactive. Yeah, I it, love it, it. It, is, yeah. it is at the level of emotional intelligence when it comes to what makes people effective. And when I talk about effective, I mean working out what their true goals are in life and getting them, working out what kind of relationships they really want in their life and getting yeah. them. That's what effective people are. So that probably deserves its own its own episode, reactive versus proactive. Sure. I love it. Hey, mm-hmm. Muffy, I've, I, I've loved talking through these, but you're not off the hook yet because we're going to talk about how do, how do we work on ourselves. But I want to tell a story first. Before kids, my wife and I lived in this apartment complex and, and they had an underground car park. And every afternoon, this guy in the apartment complex, who I didn't know at all, so I don't know what sort of guy he was, he would scream in the car park at a million <laughs> miles an hour. I mean, this is an actual car park. And he would be going like 40 or 50 k's an hour in this car park and screaming. He would park with his tires halfway over into the other person's car park. He would be parked what? crooked. And you know, if, you know, you can imagine we've all got a fairly narrow space to park our cars. He would get out of his car, walk out, you'd not even look back and go into his apartment. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that is a guy who has zero emotional intelligence. And yeah. I was thinking, I wonder where it is. Is it self-awareness? Does he just not get it? Does he, can he not see that from a third person's point of view? Does he not realize how that looks? Or is it self-regulation? He knows how that looks but he just can't yes. stop himself. He's so keen to get home from work. He knows that it makes him look like a jerk. He knows that it inconveniences his neighbor, and he knows that it puts people at risk because they're walking through the car park, but he just can't help himself. Or is it motivation? Yeah. <laughs> is it motivation? Is he just so motivated to get where he wants to go? And, and Or it could be empathy or it could be social skills. I just look at that scenario, and I think the answer is in emotional intelligence.
1: I agree. I agree. I'm even thinking it could be something else, David. I'm thinking he could even just be darn right angry at the world and Mm, rebellious. It's almost like being a naughty child throwing a tantrum. I'm going to make trouble here. And I don't care who I inconvenience because it's making me feel better about myself. Mm. It's almost a means of, I mean, if he's doing it on purpose in that sense, it's almost a means of control, which is, a you know, trolling, which is a whole nother thing. But this, you know, you're onto something for me that's really interesting, that notion that emotional intelligence doesn't necessarily mean that what we create using our emotional intelligence is going to be palatable to others. It's All it is is a choice. All emotional intelligence is, literally in a sense, is I'm self-aware, I'm aware of others, and based on that, I'm now still going to make my Mm. strategic choice.
0: Some people use their high emotional intelligence to be evil and get what they want, don't they?
1: Yeah. I can think of a few public figures at the moment where I you know, I want to uh, <laughs> look at them and say, come on, <laughs> how could you, Trump, how could you have any emotional intro? None. Mm. But he, probably has,
0: he probably does.
1: None, but he does. Mm. I think he does. He uses a lot of evil. this is. Yeah. It's mindful. That's mm. right. It's yeah. a strategic choice. We just don't like it. We're not comfortable with it. Yeah.
0: I always mm. think that if I ever meet someone who is remarkable, in the true sense of the word, either for a very positive reason or for a negative reason, I always think when I ponder them that the answer lies in emotional intelligence. They're either really fantastic. If they're someone who who really impresses you when you meet them socially or at work or the work they do or the presentation they give, if you really think about what it is that impresses you so much, it is one or more or the interplay of those five components of Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence. I think so too. I think so too. It's powerful. It is. It's powerful stuff. All right. Now, just as we started, we, we're going to come full circle here. We talked about emotional intelligence being to leaders, what athleticism is to sportsmen. Now, we all know that some people are born more athletic than others. So I have two questions, Muffy. Is it true some people are born with greater emotional intelligence than others? If so, if not, how do we work on it? How can I get more emotional intelligence?
1: Okay. You know, I I don't know that we have proof about DNA or chromosomal inheritance of emotional intelligence. I don't know. I mean, I would assume there's a little bit of nature in everything up for us, but I think a lot of it is nurture as well. But the one thing that we do know about EQ is that it's not it's not divvied out to us like IQ is. So there is a difference in the sense we can't change our IQ. It's not something. I mean, we can stretch our brain and all of that, but but we we probably won't be able they've shown that we won't be able to change the score on the on the basic test whereas on um, EQ emotional intelligence we are definitely able to develop that and enhance it just Isn't by that good news. Aware. Yes, it's such good news. <laughs> For those of us with an IQ of 12 it's great to know. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey Muffy, so would you have, would you rather have a high IQ or a high EQ? A High
1: EQ definitely. Uh, I think I have to be happy with what I've got. (laughs) (laughs) So no, no, I think definitely, you know, I, I read a little research on this, David, on the topic of the, the two things together. And they were, they were sort of saying, I found this interesting that in terms of our IQ, we always sort of relate to genius as being a number on, Mm. you know, that intelligence score test. And they were saying that, yes, our IQ score makes a bit of a difference in terms of the, you know, maybe the profession that we step into or so, but only up until about 115, Uh, mm score-wise. After 115, which is actually a very average, Mm. normal score, apparently, after that, it's not the IQ that's the differentiator. It's other things like EQ and other attributes and capabilities that we have that become our differentiator, which is really good to know. So we could be up against, you know, our colleague could be immense genius, but yeah. we can still be as good or better of a leader because we've developed all these other beautiful things that make us, the reason is because it makes us more effective as a human being in connection with others. Because relationships in the end are, you know, sort of the the fodder of business results. I mean, we You know, there's that saying that a a business is only the quality of a business is equal to, and only as good as the quality of the relationships internally Mm. and externally that it creates. And so, that's the beauty of the emotional intelligence. Yeah.
0: The concept of of intelligence against emotional intelligence, I've read uh, about that as well. That there's there's a you know level past which it sort of doesn't matter anymore when it comes Uh to intelligence. It's a permission to play thing. You know, fair for anyone in a professional setting or a, you know in, in a job that requires you to think of course you need to have a fairly decent level of intelligence but that's just a permission to be there from everyone's got that everyone in your workplace has that what sets some apart from the rest is things like their emotional intelligence hey you know I've got this crazy idea mafia as I bring my boys into this world where of course the jobs they end up doing don't exist yet and of course Artificial intelligence will play a much greater role in their world than it has in mine. And I think, I've thought actively to myself, what could separate my boys? What can give them a head start? And Mm. I think the answer is emotional intelligence. I think machines will take over so many of the jobs that we take for granted now that are human jobs. Of course, Mm. they'll take over my job. They'll be making much better podcasts than I ever have. But what they won't be able to do is tap into the emotions of the people around
1: them. That's exactly it. So that will be the, the young generation coming through. That will be their differentiator. I mm-hmm. think you're on it, David, really. Yeah. That's going to be it. Yeah. I think and what's so. interesting too, if we think about it, is it's going to be a skill set that's going to be intriguing. And maybe it is up to us as parents to ensure that we promote that in them because sort of the juxtaposition to that is, is that face-to-face with a computer or, mm. you know, which doesn't give us the opportunity to connect as much as we have to, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I have no out. idea what to teach him. I have no idea what will be useful knowledge in his in his yeah. life. But I do know that emotional intelligence will be useful. So, yeah, paying attention to that. Hey, look, Muffy, churches. We've run out of time. But it it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and talk mm-hmm. to someone who cares as much about this topic of emotional <laughs> intelligence as it's I do.
1: Fun, isn't it? It's great. Thanks, David. I've loved it. Loved it.
0: Thanks, Muffy. And that was Muffy Church's I love chatting all about emotional intelligence with someone who shares my passion. As I said in our conversation, for me, there's nothing more important for leaders. EQ is for leaders what athleticism is to sports people. Whenever I meet someone who is either really impressive or really annoying in some way, the answer as to why always lies within emotional intelligence. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Janine on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teamswithanS.dotguru/podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.